KO here. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution. I am so pumped today. I'm welcoming Amber Furman to the mic. She is an attorney, a speaker, a success architect, and podcaster. She's the definition of resilience, and we're going to talk about her breakdown, her breakthrough, how she was actually hiding behind her education before she found her real path. And she is a no holds bar. I will tell you what you want to hear and tell the truth straight at it. We jump in with heavy combo, and I so appreciate that. Keep an eye on what Amber has going on. She's got big things to come. This is a fabulous conversation about anyone that has had to get through something tough and knows that there is light at the end of the tunnel, but you just got to pull back and do the work. Cheers, Amber. Thank you so much for joining me. I genuinely appreciate our combo. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on YouTube. We have all the video coming at you. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I'm so excited today. We are at PodMax 13. I think it's my sixth or seventh one, but I've got an OG in the house, Amber Furman. She is an all-around life rock star. Uh, she's an attorney, speaker, success architect, and podcaster. She is an attorney uh, at law for... Uh, I'm sorry, criminal defense and immigration law. We're going to unpack that right away just because of the state of the nation. But without further ado, Amber, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We have been trying to make this happen with like both of our shows for so long. And it seems like you just get two really busy, overachieving powerhouse women together and it's hard to find schedules. (laughs) So I'm so glad that this happened. Me too. And it, it's so funny. And I also love when um, strong females recognize strong females because we've got to shape yes. shift that narrative of women competing because this is what it's about. Like we got to support yeah. it's community and recognition. So back at you. I see your uh, strength all the way around. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much. So before we got on, I was asking Amber, like, because the state of the nation's crazy. Uh, what's go- I mean, it's been crazy for a little while, but uh, the border and everything else. And I'm like, won't get political. And Amber is kind and bold enough to be like, I'm an open book. I'm like, you know what? Let's just unpack this and see what it is. So let's jump right into the heavy, as we kind of do on turmeric and tequila, with your professional stance, your long-term experience, being a strong female. What is your viewpoint on what's going on with the presidency and the border wall and immigration in general? Super loaded question. Yeah, it is a loaded question. And I was I was starting to tell you before we hit record and then you were like, wait, 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 this is going to be good. And I'm like, crap. But I I, I opened it. Um, (laughs) No, I people are normally surprised to find out that my personal and political opinions are not always as liberal as my legal opinions. Like I get a client that comes to my office. I'm going to do everything that I can to do my job and get the best result for that client. When it comes to my actual opinions and what I think goes on, I am a pick your battles type of person, right? We have to start somewhere. So as far as the border wall is concerned, first of all, I don't necessarily agree with it. And I also understand the need to protect our nation. The battle that I choose to pick is the people who are here. We have a ridiculous amount of people in the United States who have built United States citizens families that have United States citizen children that we chose not to enforce immigration laws against. And then all of a sudden we open up this book where we're like, if you're here, you're going to get placed in removal proceedings. And there's this place, this portion of people that are like, well, you're in the United States unlawfully. So you might as like, 
what did you expect to happen? And my answer to that is like, we left them alone for 30 years. We let them have families. We let them get married. We have an obligation to keep these families together and find a solution for the people who have been productive members of society. And we're not doing that right now. And that irritates the hell out of me. So eventually I'll have a strong opinion about what happens at the border. I cry every single time I meet with a um, a client of mine from Central America and they tell me about how they don't feel safe and they can't file police reports because they don't know whether their police officers are part of a gang. And I'm sympathetic to the fact that that's awful. And I'm also grateful that that's not my life. And I've never been so grateful to be born in the country that I'm born in and know that I don't have to worry about whether or not the cops are going to come break down my door. At the same time, we owe it to the productive members of society to find a solution for them. I mean, incredibly well said. And my intention for asking this question really wasn't to get political. I just think anytime you can have a viewpoint from a professional that's in that space and and see their perspective is a phenomenal opportunity to broaden your own perspective. Because as civilians, speaking to myself, uh, meaning somebody that's not like a professional in that space, we see it from the news. And so everything I'm digesting for the most part without my own research, which I will openly admit I've not done in depth is characterized through that the news or whatever. So we're seeing certain pieces of the truth. So I love hearing, it doesn't matter if I agree or disagree. That's not the point. It's just to hear somebody's perspective that's knee deep in it. And you get that human perspective of you actually, it's not just the news, whatever you see this person in front of your face, you see their families, as you said, their marriages, their life that it's built. It's, I, I don't know how, um, how you keep you do your self-care and you keep your mind balanced but i like that you just said you pick your battles and that's the turmeric and tequila uh kind of way because there's some there's a lot of things you really want to do and then you have to see the full perspective of like okay what can i actually do or how can i actually assist this and in addition do i see the other side do i see how maybe americans are not being taken care of so it's a really complicated issue i really appreciate you giving an honest response to that and i think that's a really valuable perspective you just provided for our listeners Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, I mean, the, the most frustrating thing that I hear from people and, and thank you so much for acknowledging that like not everybody has done their research out there and giving a platform for an educated viewpoint. Um, one of the most frustrating things I hear is, well, why don't they just file the paperwork? Well, great. <laughs> Give them a way to do that because I can tell you that more often than not, somebody comes in my office and they've paid their taxes for the last 20 years and they just, they want to file the paperwork. And they can't, there's no paperwork for them to file. There's no way for them to stay here. The law is broken. So as much as, as people want them to file the paperwork, they want to file it too. Give them something right. to file, right? right. Um, the, the most heartbreaking thing though, and I'm, I'm going to tie this in really quickly to why I've made some of the shifts that I've made in my life because of the self-care that you talked about. Um, I lost my dad when I was 17 and I didn't really understand how this was going to impact me in the legal field until I had an eight-year-old daughter in my office when I first started practicing immigration, whose father was about to get deported. And I had done some research and there was a case that said that for United States citizen children, deportation is psychologically the same as the death of a parent. And I lost my shit. And I thought, how true is it that we're sending, we're separating these children from their families 
and sending back a father figure to a place where he may or may not survive to a place where they can't have contact with them. And I don't believe every one of my clients deserves to stay in the United States, but I do believe that every single one of their children deserves to have a father. That's powerful. Do you, um, having that story, do you feel like universe, I don't, you, I always say universe, God of Madonna on my show, but put you like right in that spot to be the impactful person that you are with your collective experience, personality, genetic makeup, and then life experience. <laughs> I mean, it, that seems like a perfect spot to put you in to really make a, make a difference. I, I think that in some grand scheme that was going on that I didn't understand at the time, that's true. I also think that I got to where I'm at right now through a, a whole lot of avoidance. Um, I went to law school because I had an interest in it. And also I had created this moment in my mind, this idea in my mind that all of this trauma and all of this loss that I had in my life, I told you that I lost my father really young. At the same time, he was the 10th funeral that I had gone to by the time I was that age. And so this idea of having people ripped out of my life is something that just became normal to me. And without understanding what was psychologically going on, I created this belief that people don't stick around. I created this belief that you can't rely on people and that if you trust someone, if you let somebody take care of you, then you're going to end up hurt and broken and alone. And without knowing it, I built these walls. And, and as I started to heal and I started to unpack so much of that trauma after my meltdown in 2016, I started to realize that I had found a path to the one profession that I could say that my emotions didn't matter, that I could look at law and I could analytically say, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. This is what the law says. And I could put all of my emotions in this box. And I just expected that box to get carried away when I had a six-figure income and a law degree. And I was never going to have to deal with those feelings. Um, and we all know that didn't work out the way that I planned. Well, uh, this is why you are so strong because I mean, these are remarkable <laughs> steps in life. And I assume you've taken some time to intentionally heal. And I think that's before any of this conversation, that's really step number one in getting your mind right, because you are really in a position of power, not only as a lawyer, but being on the microphone and being a, a strong woman, um, an example of a strong woman to our, to our young boys and to our young girls. Like these are really major roles, but before all those things can really sink in, you have to take time to heal your trauma, whatever that may be in, and you had some very deep major ones as a very, very young human. Um, and that in itself, I think, is remarkable and deserves a nod because to face your shit, as I say, is really, really hard. And there's just things that are hard. And you see people that their realities are unimaginable. We are so deeply lucky as Americans. And I love that you said how you, how much gratitude you have for that. And I do as well. I have two brothers uh, in military and, and they've seen things that I'll never see. And people's lives that aren't Americans are, you know, a thousand times I don't like to say harder, but they're harder than anything that we know. Um, but that, again, doesn't take away from individual trauma and how we're all trying to just, you know, navigate our own path. We, we kind of, yeah, I mean, really, sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, Before you jump into that, I just want to say when you said you had two brothers in the military and you can't imagine what they've gone through, I got goosebumps. And the reason for that is because so many people want to try to relate to somebody to, um, ease the burdens that they're going through and acknowledging that 
there's no way that we could ever understand what they're going through. The moment that I realized that sometimes that's all they need to hear is I can't relate to what you're saying. I have no idea what it feels like to go through what you've gone through and to the extent you can help me understand I'm here. And, and to be able to take that position instead of the position that so many people take of, dude, I know what you're going through because of, and trying to relate it to them, like that immediately shuts off that connection in their mind. So to say like, I, I don't understand, yeah. help me is, is so powerful. Thank you for pointing that out because that's, a, that, again, that's a skill, like a like, a skill, I want to say, but really like a tool in your toolbox that we need as communicators, but we're not often taught. I think as Americans, we are just, oh, I understand. Like, I think that's the way we're culturally uh, taught to communicate. And that's why we have so much miscommunication and misunderstanding. And like, just like you said, if you're the person on that side of it with that had the traumatic experience, it shuts you down. It's like, well, no, you don't understand. And, and it yeah. further separates us when that person's really just trying to relate and connect with you. So these are just tools that I think are really, really hard. I really appreciate you pointing that out that unless you go through it or you seek out healing or understanding, you don't know until you intentionally seek that path out. It's really, so this stuff's like really hard. The trauma's really hard. The way to communicate it and relate is really hard. Like so much of it, um, it requires skill set for us to kind of get to an equal level, even just to have a conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy because what I'm going to say is going to sound incredibly selfish. So for all of you who are listening, just understand that this may hit a little bit and and know that it's not intended that way. How many times when somebody says that, are they trying to alleviate the pain that they're feeling, right? They want to say, hey, I understand because it's uncomfortable to yeah. not know what somebody's going through. To say, I don't like, I don't know what you're going through. Let me be here for you. You don't know what's going to come after that. And that's incredibly uncomfortable. So instead we try to relate so that we can make ourselves comfortable, believing that if we make ourselves comfortable, then the other person is automatically going to be uncomfortable or going to be comfortable. And it's the opposite effect. Yeah. Well, we're so myopic in our, in our nature, particularly in Americans. Like it's all, again, I don't know that it's conscious thought for a lot of people. It's just, that's what we do. Easy. Everything uncomfortable doesn't need to do. Like I heard a really great quote the other day. It's like, keep the peace over telling the truth. And I actually think you could say that in most cultures because everything's like hush, hush, like don't talk about it, whatever. Let's just get, stay in that comfortable state and let it be. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2020, we saw this eruption of truth happening. And I actually get the chills thinking about it because it's people like us on the mic have such a responsibility to maintain that core value of being uncomfortable, being okay, uncomfortable, and not shutting down when it gets uncomfortable. So I really appreciate you dumping in from the, jumping in from this pod conversation. Number one, second one, I'm like hitting you with immigration questions. Um, but it is uncomfortable, but that's the point. Like that's where we need to get to. Yeah, absolutely. Like I live my life on the idea that we need to be uncomfortable. And that's a change that came um, through my obstacle course racing background and just realizing how much growth comes from being uncomfortable. And um, it exists in, in all areas of your life. So when you're uncomfortable, that's where the growth happens. I completely agree. It's 
it's so hard. But I think the once you do it, and then sports are such a, a great conduit for practicing that because, you know, as a kiddo, you just get up and fail or obstacle, obstacle course racing as an adult, you get, you know, crawling through the mud and all the things. But it's such a great metaphor to keep yourself in practice of that, like, get up, scrape your knee, put a band in it, let's go. And then you get better at it. Um, but we jump past. Yeah. Give me a little more about your background. I want to talk about more than corporate because that, as an entrepreneur, that really hits my heart. But tell us about your young self. Yeah, my young self, like I loved my childhood. I grew up in um, southeastern Idaho. I grew up in a really small town. So whatever you're thinking as small town, like cut it in like 10. Um, I grew up with about 1200 people in my town, 80 people in my graduating class. And that created and fostered this community belief in me that um, I could impact others through just living my life. I remember when I was young, my grandma, who was a huge influence on me, had told me that one of the things that she loved about me the most was how much I cared for other people and that she never wanted me to lose that. And at some point in time throughout my life, I did. And I lost that because you can't care about other people if you're not willing to go to that uncomfortable place that we were just talking about. If you're not willing to get vulnerable and authentic and transparent and talk about your shit, you can't connect with other people the way that you need to in order to let them know that you really care. And I wasn't willing to go to that place for so long in my life. And so it became so analytical. Um, I had an enormous amount of loss in my life. I was incredibly focused on education all throughout my life. And that led to this belief that if I just learned enough, if I just did enough, if I just got that degree that everything else was going to be okay. I think that this is where when I graduated from law school in 2013, um, I waited because I had gone from high school to undergrad. I took the extended route in undergrad. It took me nine years to get a four-year degree. I went to law school. I passed the bar. My entire life up to the age of 34 had been education and the next education-related thing. And then it was like, okay, what's next? And three years in, I was like, this is like, this is my life. Like I just wake up every day. And I, I live this and, and I don't know whose life this is, but I need something else. I started having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And, you know, I tell people that you'll either change your life or something will happen where the universe forces you to. Yeah. And I sought help, not because I wanted to, but because for the first time in my life, I couldn't function. That box was overflowing and I couldn't function. Um, and I remember sitting in my therapist's office and about six months in, I told her, I said, I just, I feel like a total and complete failure. And she said, Amber, you're the first person in your family to go to college. You have a six figure income. You have a law degree. You support yourself. What exactly does success mean to you? I said, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that before. And that became my mission with more than corporate was to help people answer that question. What can I ask you now? What does success mean to you? So I have, I know it's hard to see behind me, but I have behind me some iconic art and it says success is doing what you want, where you want, with you want, with who you want and how you want. And 
I believe that. And I also believe that in that, I'm not to quote who is it, Superman um, or Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. When you get that type of success, it comes with those difficult decisions. Like I lived for so long with the idea that success was like, nobody was going to tell me what to do. Well, life doesn't work that way. Like we have responsibilities and somebody's going to tell you what to do. The idea of having full and complete control over where I spend my time, who I spend it with and what I accomplish with it. Also doing all of that with my mission to impact and change the world. That is success to me. Well said. I, so much of that I think is it's, it could be its own conversation and podcast because I think the, I always say my intentional type A varsity humans, like we're going to fix it. We're going to make it right. We're going to do more, train harder, read more books. And just like you said, universe will whip your ass. Universe, God, Madonna, whatever you believe it, it, it'll break you down. And I, like you, I have had a multitude of like flags, like being like, okay, shift, shift. And then finally it's like breakdown. And torn ACL and taken off this team and did it like where it's like a huge smack in the face and has to like literally rip my heart out until I'm like, Oh, now I'm listening. Like now I know we need to pivot, but that's still really hard knowing how to like deal with those things. When you had that initial like breakdown and then breakthrough, how did you know to have a step one to seek out that healing? And what did you do? So I didn't have a choice. Um, I and and let me go back because I I hate that statement. We always have a choice, right? I could have stayed curled up in a ball and non-functioning, yeah. and I didn't. So that's a choice for me, though. I didn't have a choice. The the overachieving person who had always gotten what she wanted. Um, I was sent up to Reno, which is about eight hours north of Las Vegas for anybody not familiar with the area. And I didn't realize that I had become the person who emotionally manipulated others to make myself feel better. That's how I had lived my life. I had lived my life where I needed control of something. I needed control of my life. And every time my life started to spin out of control, instead of getting help, I would create chaos in my life that I could fix. And then that would give me back that sense of control. And then I was fine. Uh, So I'm up in Reno and something happens that I can't fix because I'm eight hours away. And every person that I know and every person that I could in any way create chaos with, they're, they're, they're not here. And for the first time, probably in my life, I was forced to rely on myself and it didn't end well. I was, um, I was up there for court. So I would pull myself together. I would go into the courthouse. I would do what I needed to do. I would go back to my hotel room and I would crawl up in a ball and I would cry and hyperventilate and, and remind myself to breathe. And after four days of that, I was like, this is not the way that life's supposed to be. And so I made an appointment with a therapist up there. And then I get back to Vegas and somebody picks me up from the airport. And I'm like, dude, that was, that was just a fluke. My life's fine. Right. Um, and, and they luckily pushed me and said, Amber, you've already got the appointment, just go. And, and that was the first step to making the change. Had I not had that experience, I probably wouldn't have taken the first step. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think, you know, we're still kind of juggling with this stigma around mental health and therapy and all that, which I think is uh, sad because just like in sports, you you want to level up, you go get a coach, you get somebody better than you that knows more. And I think mental health is the exact same way, like go jump in. And even in the mental health field, fortunately, my professional life has brought me to so many things from brain mapping to life coaching to whatever. And I was doing it professionally, but I actually needed it in my real life. So I'm glad Universal looked out for me and was like, mm, this is good for you business wise, but also in your reality. Um, so yeah. leaning, leaning into that's really a big step. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting because when you said the stigma, when my dad passed away, I remember going into um, my doctor's office for something else. And my mom had come with me um, and my, my doctor found out my dad passed away. And the first thing she wanted to do was medicate me. And I was so anti-medicine at, at the time. And I still, I still am for a lot of things. And we were in back then, we're talking 2001, we were in okay. a diagnose and medicate culture. And so in my mind, so our brain, the way our brain works is it's constantly learning and it's learning from experiences. And that experience taught my mind that if I talk to anybody about what I'm going through, they're going to try and diagnose and medicate me. And if I'm diagnosed and medicated, then I have to report it to the bar and it's going to ruin my law career. And so it wasn't until something like this happened where the pain was, was stronger than this belief I had created that I was willing to seek help. And I intentionally sought out somebody that my very first conversation with them was if you try to medicate or diagnose me, I'm walking out of your office. Good for you. That is such, such an important piece of intel because part of the problem in America is we go to the doctor and we think the doctor knows everything. But the problem with that is nobody knows us better than us. Even if we don't know the correct medical situation or diagnosis, you know your body and you know your gut. If you go in and something doesn't feel right or you know you don't want it, like, I mean, it's probably a blessing you had your job that was going to be that boundary no matter what. A lot of people don't have that. And that's why we have an opiate, opiate crisis and it's all business in the medical world. I'm here for Western medicine, but I really am with you as well. These home homeopathic approaches or non-medication situations, I always say explore that. And I do think there's a place for medication. I know I have a multitude of family members and friends that are on, you know, certain prescriptions and it's helped save their life. But for the most part, I, it, what you said is so critical. If it doesn't feel right and you don't want to be medicated, seek something else. And if it's right, fine. But that's a critical piece in the recovery process to question a better way. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, we have been for so long trying to avoid human feelings, right? So you can't be sad about something without somebody telling you you're depressed and you need to be on depression medication. You can't have anxiety without somebody telling you that you have an anxiety disorder and you need to be on medication. Like one of the most powerful things I learned is that sadness, panic, and anxiety are human emotions. And like we all feel them and we all get to breathe through those or work through those or whatever that looks like for you, just because you have that human emotion doesn't mean that you also have that diagnosed disorder. And that was a message that got lost for so long because everybody wanted to avoid the human. Mm -hmm. Perfectly said. And that's, I mean, serendipitously, serendipitously so. That's what we started our conversation with about being uncomfortable. Everything is like, just stay comfortable. Just keep the peace. The problem with that is it's not real. We're numbed out to everything. And if you numb out the pain, you numb out the joy. And people forget that it's, to, to live is to suffer. I, I do a lot with philosophy and like to sum it up is like to live is to suffer. That's, it is what it is. Any philosophy you read, that's where you go and where it goes. But the good side is like when you feel the pain, then you can also feel the joy. And this is just something culturally I don't think we lean, lean into enough. And athletes, like you go out there, you lose. You Before a big game, you're anxious. Uh, you In preparation for a game, you're like thinking about it. You're stressed out. This is this is what it is. And that's why it's so awesome to compete because you don't know what's going to happen. And that's what life is. So I'm I'm so glad that you're out here spreading this message, things we should learn as, as young people, but we didn't. So whatever it is, it's amazing. You're out here. How, how have some of these messages, um, really shown up in, on your podcast or in your professional life? Like has, I mean, obviously it's helped shape the journey, but how has it specifically showed up to your career path right now? Yeah, it's made a huge impact because 
we create these identities for ourselves. And, and these are the people that I work with so often in my success coaching business, because we've created this identity for ourselves in highly educated professions or corporate professions where you've put so much time, effort, and energy into getting where you are. And then you don't know who you are without that. And, and this journey kind of started for me because when I started my firm in 2017, I had a case that followed me there and they didn't get the outcome that they wanted and they filed a complaint with the state bar. So before I tell this story, everything was fine. It got dismissed. I'm not a horrible attorney. <laughs> with that being said, though, what went through my head was they're going to take away my law license. And if I'm not an attorney, who am I? I couldn't answer that question. And I kept going to my colleagues saying, can you please like, acknowledge my world is ending. And they're like, dude, you're not an attorney until you get this letter. Like you're not an attorney until somebody doesn't like what you've done. I'm like, no, this is not the answer I want. Like the sky's falling. Will you please just acknowledge that like it's over. And I had been in therapy for about a year at this point, And I thought, okay, I have, I, 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 the only thing I know how to do is, is talk about this or write about it. So I wrote this blog post and it was called, but did you die? And it was the idea of like, what happens if they do take that away? Right? Like what happens if this Amber that I've created for myself, this attorney Amber no longer existed, like there's still this physical being that's breathing and living and has this opportunity for life. Right? So I write this blog post and I send it to a friend of mine and he reads it and he's like, this is fantastic. You can't publish it. And I was like, what do you mean? And he says, Amber, this will ruin your law career. Nobody wants an attorney who admits to talking about this, which first of all is the biggest problem in highly educated professions, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I said, maybe I could publish it anonymously. And he's like, yeah, I think that's what you should do. Get the message out, but don't put your name on it. And I, I almost did. The, the first thing my therapist gave me when I entered her office was Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And I watched that TED Talk every day for almost a year. So I'm getting ready to publish this anonymously. And I hear Brene Brown in my head say, if courage is a value that you stand by, then this is a place you have to go. And I think to myself, if this ruins my law career, I'm not meant to be an attorney. And I publish it. And I wait for the fallout and instead, what I get is I suffer from anxiety, too. This is something that we all suffer from. And I thought, if everybody suffers from this, then why are we talking about this in silence? Why aren't we having these conversations about what we're all feeling? And so that's kind of where it all started. And then it rolled uphill from there or downhill, whichever day it is, um, where I went to, I, I opened my firm. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And you've heard me say that I wanted to be successful and I, I hadn't quite found that yet. So my friend hands me a flyer and says, I think you need to go to this and it's titled Success Bootcamp. And have you guys ever had that experience where you do something and you have this idea in your head of exactly how it's going to go and you walk in and you realize how horribly wrong you are about what you just got yourself into? Uh, hashtag life. So in my... Yes. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So, and everything sports related. Right. So in my head, I was going to walk into this like 35 minute seminar and it was going to be this bullet pointed because I'm an attorney, everything's organized. One, two, three, four success. 
And, and this was going to be the blueprint that I had been waiting for. And instead, I sat there for four hours and listened to somebody tell me that the reason I don't have everything that I want in life is because I'm in my own way. And it was my introduction to neuro-linguistics programming and to the certifications and education that changed my life and allowed me to change others. Boom. Oh my, that, that's a whole podcast in itself. Just like therapy, the brain is so um, not talked about enough. Like there's, we need so much more conversation around all of it because a lot of it is hardwiring and programming our own story. There's huge chunks of awesome conversation you just pulled out there. But I, I got to know when you walked out of that success boot camp, what, what was your first step? So I walked up to this girl who is now my coach and my NLP trainer and um, collaborator, which I can um, release more about in the coming months. But um, I walked up to her and I was bawling because she had said something. And honestly, I don't even remember what it was, but she had said something that just hit me so deeply. And I said, you could not possibly have known this about me. And before I could start finish my sentence, she started laughing and she's like, I've been studying human behavior for 35 years. Tell me something about you. I don't know. <laughs> And I was like, crap, right? And it's crazy because we think we are communicating with people. And then we realize how much we're missing because we're so focused on ourselves. So this, this training process for me was a, was a two-year process. I finished my actual NLP trainer certification that allows me to teach it last November. And I remember at the end of these classes that I had allowed myself to dive deep into, the first time I had ever invested in myself in this way, and this two-year journey, and I'm up here sharing my experiences with the people that I have just gone basically to battle against your mind with. And all of a sudden, in the middle of me talking about this experience, I started crying. And she says, what, what happened? And I said, it's quiet. And she says, what do you mean it's quiet? And I'm like, in my head, it's quiet. Like that voice that I've been living with for the last 30 years that's been telling me that nobody wants to hear what I have to say and that that's not what I should have said. And my preventing me from connecting with people on the way that I should be because it's too worried about whether I said the right thing and did the right thing and wore the right thing and whether I look the right way, like that person's gone. And I don't know how to deal with that piece. And, and it's really interesting because we're six months later now and there are still times where I'll go through an experience and then I'll realize that she's not there anymore, that, that, that she's just gone. And I was in the moment and present and it blows me away every time. Is this a constant practice? Do you feel like it, it comes back up? Like you've got to kind of like revert, re get recenter and like get back to that baseline? So I think that we never go back to the person that we were before. Like that person doesn't exist anymore. And if we're not constantly growing, then we can fall back into old habits. So I think that it's a yes and no answer to that question. I, I would agree. I, as an athlete, like, I think I just picked up my lacrosse stick for an example the other day. And I'm like, Oh, I still got this a little bit. It's been like six years and I picked it up. And I'm like, the hard wiring is still there and there's still access to it. I do wish I would pick it up a little bit more. So we stay maintaining, but I think all things are a little bit of a practice in life. And once you, but with that, once you move forward, you are like, I'll forever a lacrosse player. And again, clinging to identities and who I am, it, it, it doesn't really, like, I'll never not know how to play lacrosse. I might not be as good as it, at, at it as I once was, but it's still there. But that practice is, is tough. 
once you learned like this hardwiring and we are a collection of experience or genetics, did you give yourself some space and grace knowing that like, I don't, I don't really have control of a lot of this. And some of these, most of these things are because of my genetic makeup and my experience. Like, was it a, did you have the ability to let go at that point a little bit? Yeah. So I think that those are two different, two different situations, genetic makeup and experience, right? Because we don't have control over genetic makeup, but we absolutely 100% have control over experience. And the way that our, the way that our brains are, are wired is something happens that creates a reality for us. And that becomes our reality until we challenge it. So one of my favorite questions to ask people when they tell me like, I'm not that person, or I can't do that, or whatever the conversation is, is when did you decide that? Because the answer is always in there. There is a point in time in their background where somebody told them they wasn't, they weren't good enough, where they decided they weren't good enough, where they tried and they failed and they looked at everybody else that they thought was doing it perfectly. And they decided they was, they weren't good enough. So at some point in time, we created that experience for us. So I believe that we 100% have the ability to change our relationship with our experiences and that changing our relationship with our experiences allows us to be at peace with and accept the DNA part, which allows us to have the life we want to have to, I think, get to the, the real heart of, of where this question is at. And, and if it's wrong, redirect me. Um, one of the most powerful things that I was told as I was going through this process and realizing who I was that had created this life that I was trying to change. And I was hating her and angry with her was when somebody told me, thank her because she got you through everything that you've been through up to this point. So thank her for getting you to where you are now and acknowledge that she no longer serves you and move on. You did answer. Cause I, my, I guess my roundabout way, I, I didn't ask it well, was like, at what point do you give yourself some space and grace? And what was that pivot point of be, being able to let go? And what you just said is you are in charge of your experience. And I think the way I just asked you was a little bit of that victim mentality or the way it sounded of what's happening to me. And that was something I had to unpack. And I didn't even realize because I'm not like, quote unquote, a crybaby. And I don't even want to promote the stigma there. But it's very like, I'm tough. I'll figure it out. But things in life do happen. You know, you lose, you have extraordinary loss and, and what have you. But how you react to it, you are in control of. So I appreciate you pointing that out as well. But we have to figure that out. I didn't even know. I was playing the victim on so many things. And then I was like, oh, actually I am. And here we are. And then you let it go. And that's, and that's really tough to kind of navigate and figure that out. And that's where I, again, the therapy, the coaching, all these things are extraordinary investments and to invest in yourself, as you just said, you had never done that before as a super educated, grounded, strong human. We don't really think about that. I, I didn't until I was over 30. Um, and yeah. I think this is really important for our kiddos to see. Do you have like, what's the average age of person you're coaching uh, at this point? So the average age right now is in their thirties, um, late twenties, early thirties. I have okay. some people that are in their forties and fifties. Um, it's really interesting because I'm starting now that 
COVID is allowing us to people again, I'm starting to reach out to schools. And I had avoided schools for so long to be able to speak at them because I thought if somebody would have asked me these questions, like the, these conversations that I have are so deep, is it is it appropriate mm-hmm. for school age? And then I realized that if somebody would have told me that a six-figure income wasn't going to bring me success and happiness, I would have thought that they were out of their freaking mind. But at least that seed would have been planted to where when I had that first amount of resistance, there would have been at least a little bit of that opinion in my mind for me to to rely on. And so that idea of never underestimating the power of planting seeds, I really want to start working with people that are a little bit younger. Um, On the idea of investing in yourself, I also want to add the idea of community, right? This PodMax community that we are a part of is unbelievable. And just like any other community that you put yourself in, your world exists in the only way that you understand it. And I think that everybody listening, and I know you, Kristen, can relate to having that experience that shatters your reality because somebody just did something that you didn't think was possible, or somebody's living a life that you didn't know was possible, or somebody says something about your business and you're like, holy crap, that's going to change the way that I do everything. Those experience of just expanding what you believe is possible in the world are extremely important. So investing in yourself is amazing and also finding amazing communities that will allow you to grow is just as important. Completely agree. I just did my hundredth episode and I did like a quick list of, um, congrats. Thank you. It's been a journey, man. We're out here. We are learning. There's one good thing about podcasting. It's like the whole space is constantly changing. So we're checking that learning box on the daily, um, super imperfect process, but yes, it's my, my number one uh, on that top 10, like life tip pro list was who you surround yourself is everything. And that's the truth. It doesn't matter if it's sports or life or what have you. If somebody's in, if you've got a community that supports mental health, supports podcasting, like you need that. And you need also people around you being like, girl, chill, you need to do this or what? Cause you, cause sometimes you just get so wrapped in your own head or your own experience or whatever, even when you have the life skills to navigate some of this stuff, you still need grounded people around you to, to dial it in. Um, yeah. And you need people who are different. Yes. Right. Like if we only hang out with ourselves, we're never going to grow. So the fact that we opened this conversation with um, an extremely divisive conversation and neither of us had to talk about getting defensive or where we stood and we were just able to have the conversation like that's what we need. Like allow people to challenge your identity when you're in those communities. Yes, it's it's so critical to see other people's perspectives, especially in 2021, where we were just talking about like, you know, getting more in front of our youth. I'm deeply passionate about that because while we, and I also think all things happen on time, but while we might've had a certain experience when we were younger, like, I don't know if I would have paid attention. I don't know if I would have listened. I probably wouldn't have because uh, listening is a skill set we're still working on. It, um, these kiddos are exposed to so much more. And I do think they're not sold this big dream. on like, I want the Bentley with the rims and this and that. Like, you know, I watched MTV a lot growing up. So I had this idea of success. I think they're open to this stuff. Like, I think if you went into school and you're talking about vulnerability, these guys get it. And I don't think they care about having millions of dollars. They want to be grounded. They see mental health and, you know, they're losing their friends and it's just a different conversation, but it's, it's extraordinary to see that we can have this conversation in 2021 when we didn't grow up with that, we've navigated some things and now we can open and have a really intense (laughs) combo when we've really actually never even met. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And it's, it's crazy on the, on the kids side, because I don't have children. I've never wanted children. I don't want them now. I do think that they are important in our future, obviously. Right. Um, And I was talking to a really good friend of mine from high school a couple of weekends ago, and we were talking about some stuff that her kids are going through right now. And I said, you know, kids are resilient. And she says, no, that's the problem. She's like, is we think kids are resilient and they are so much more fragile than we ever understand. And so because we think they're resilient, we don't equip them with the tools and resources that they need to deal with what they're going through because we just think they're gonna figure it out. When we start to treat them as the fragile human beings they are and know that they're gonna go through stuff and give them the tools and resources that they need to navigate that, then they become resilient. And I thought, man, that's a message that needs to get out more. Well, I think kids like broken bones, they heal faster. I do think they're resilient. And and I completely agree with what you're saying because look at us. We had to unpack shit at 20, 30, 40. Like clearly we weren't equipped. So obviously there's the intel right there and they're exposed to even more than we were. We didn't have, or I didn't have Instagram or Facebook, thank God, until after college. I can't imagine their reality. So I do think they're resilient and put the tools in front of them. Like, let's change what we've done. Like we are the examples of like, it's all good. We're out here. We're figuring it out, but like, let's not, let's change that experience for them. And then they'll probably have their own shit that we'll have to figure out, but we can at least, you know, evolve from our own space. (laughs) Exactly. All right. We've got about four minutes. There's so many things I want to cover, but, but tell me about, you know, now you've accomplished all these things, law degree, life skills, the coaching, tell us about the podcasting. What do you have going on that you're super excited about right now? Yeah, I love podcasting. I am almost to publish my 200th episode and it's unbelievable. Thank you so much. I think I'm at episode like 187 right now. So it's getting close. That's Um, unbelievable. And and like, it's, it's amazing the people we get to meet, right. And, and have conversations with people that sometimes we've put on a pedestal and realize how human they are and how much we go through some of the same things. So, um, one of the questions that I ask every single person on my podcast, um, is what book have you recommended the most? And then the other thing, cause I'm a music nerd is I need to know what their pump up song is. So I have this playlist that is all of my guests pump up songs and I play it when I need to be motivated. And it has everything from like classical to jazz to like yes. hardcore rap on it. And it's this amazing. Is, a, is this on Spotify? Um, like, do yeah. you display? Oh, okay. I'll, I'm so, I'm so here. I do. For all no, no, no. I will share it with you. Okay. It is, um, it is not a public playlist, okay. but I, so it, I, I share it with the people who I think will benefit from it. Cause I don't want people being able to add to it and stuff like that. Oh, gotcha. um, but I will definitely share it with you. Um, and your listeners, if you guys want it, reach out to me, I'll have, um, the ways to contact me that I'll give you for the show notes. Um, as far as the book thing is concerned, like I have all of these guests that have told me what their most recommended book is and I'm reading through them. And I realized that as I'm reading these books, I'm calling my friends and saying, Hey, you're not going to believe what I just read. And it's sinking in more because I'm talking about it. And I thought, why don't I create a community around this? So I believe that we design the life that we want to have, that we are the architect for the life that we want to have. So my mastermind is called the design your life mastermind. I, I went back to my education background and I thought, what 
what do architects learn? And they learn in this like studio class, right? So I created the design studio and it's a place where we are going to work through each one of these books. And we're going to create a place where people can talk about what they're learning and that expansion of perspective that we talked about earlier. You might get something different from the book than somebody else because your experiences are different and your life view is different. And then to the extent that I can, and, and this won't be able to happen with every book, but hopefully majority, I want to bring the author in at the end of every month and give the author a platform to be able to talk about what it actually meant to them and be able to have that experience. Um, and so this is something that I'm super, super excited to launch and bring people into and just expand people's identity through their personal development and give them a place to grow. I love all of it. Uh, really quick, just because we have one minute, I have a bunch to say, but where do we find you? So you can go to morethancorporate.com. All of my contact information is there. If you're on Facebook and you want to jump into our community, it's called the Success Center. Come join us. We'll have an amazing time. I love it. We're going to get cut off. Uh, I, I'm so excited for everything you have going on. You're an incredible example for our young people and for our, our mature people out here, uh, exemplifying strength, perspective and uh, ambition. I love that everything's going, that you're taking your entire collective experience and just putting it together to be the most impactful person you can be in this world. And this is why humans like you are on the mic. I'm so pumped. Please check out her podcast and everything that she has going on. I think we'll have to recast down the road because the brain conversation was uh, underrepresented, I want to say, because of our time constraints. But there's so many like really amazing life chunks of knowledge that you can offer everybody. So again, I'm so pumped you're on the microphone. I'm so excited. And really quickly, one of the things that I heard somebody do that I've always wanted to do, and I've been looking for the right person, is a smash cast. And so they were two podcast hosts and they recorded a video where they went back and forth with hosting and asking questions. And then they published that same podcast to each of their feeds and sent it out to their audience. And I think that'd be really cool to do with you. I think we have so much in common. Done. Let's do it. I love the energy. Yeah. And, yes. And I actually think we'll, it could get spicy in all the best ways. Yeah. I love it. I, lo I love spice in my life. <laughs> I'm here for this. I know. I think my heart rate, I get obnoxiously excited. It's probably at like 125 right now. Cause I'm like the ideas flow in and did, you didn't ask, but my pump up song is anything Whitney Houston. So I cannot wait to hear the list and see what vibes are coming through this. Like that's also. Yes. Great. I love it. Thank you so much, Kristen. I appreciate you yes. having me on. Let's wrap soon. Good luck with everything in the meantime. Thank you. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.